Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host from the city of Chicago. Joining us this week is Jed Brewer. Oh, yeah. Also with us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, Lee Younger. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. It's a very positive and affirming open to the show this week. And I'm sure, as ever, that energy will keep up. We have, <laughs> uh, we have some great stuff. We have some of your excellent questions. But first, I have... A church idea emergency. Oh. There's a couple of flavors of these. One is an an idea that churches actually had, and uh, we have to. That's a certain type of emergency. Normally not not because something went well. But there's also the idea where we try to help the local church. We know that, you know, it's been a hard, I don't know, call it 30 years attendance-wise, and for a lot of our friends who are in that world. Um, but we, we, we like to occasionally do a brainstorm, pitch an idea, uh, something we think can, can help uh, pack the seats out a little bit. And two, two uh, timely things have happened in recent weeks that have led mm. me to what I think could be a real whiz-bang idea. The first, uh, we're recording this about a week after it happened. You guys are hearing it a little longer than that. Uh, we're all probably aware with the Academy Awards thing of uh, Will Smith uh, hopping on stage and smacking Chris, comedian Chris Rock across the face. Been a lot of a uh, lot of discourse, a lot of talk about this. What it says about our society, what it says about power dynamics, uh, racial expectations. A lot of interesting discussions that we're not really a part of on this show. The only take I have two takes on it. Uh, the first is which someone who's worth hundreds of millions of dollars slapped another person who's worth tens of millions of dollars on live TV, and that's extremely funny. Yeah. It can be other things. <laughs> it can be wrong, and it can be toxic masculinity, and it can but. A very, very rich person open hand slapped another very, very rich person live on the American Broadcasting Corporation. And that's at least funny has got to be one of the top five things that is. Um, I don't know what the rest <laughs> they are, but that's where we are on that. <laughs> I like Matt's take. He gives wiggle room. One of the top five yeah, things like, it could You could be. say, oh, it's awful and it's, you know, it's terrible and it's, it's, you know, traumatizing. It could be all those things. But some of the top five, it's probably also funny. Let's be honest. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> But one thing it also undeniably was, was uh, a success from the idea of grabbing attention and eyeballs. Because when is the last time everyone was talking about the Oscars? If you're under the age of, what, 50? I actually can't remember a time in my life where two days after the Oscars, people were still talking about it. That's true. Other than like being angry that a certain movie didn't win and whatever lost to Crash or whatever. But even that. Yeah, even that burns off pretty quick. So that uh, that certainly got some buzz going. People talking about it. You know, you took a thing that was old, stayed, had a reputation as not being that interesting to to young people, to diverse audiences. Uh, maybe it seems a little insular, and then something burst that bubble, and a lot, lot, whole lot more people were interested. So again, just saying, maybe a lesson. The other thing is as we round through the Easter holiday season, uh, a lot of our friends who study church attendance will say that things are about to get a little rough on the church attendance side. Maybe we get some peaks in the Easter season, and then we're going to get some troughs. So maybe our friends in the church church community are looking for something to drive up some interest. And gentlemen, it is also WrestleMania season, as we record here. Uh, We're recording on the night of WrestleMania. And I pitch to you gentlemen... For anyone who wants to take it, a post-Easter churchomania. Oh yeah, wow. brother! Because here's what I'm exactly. That's what I'm saying. Because the pitch is it's church. Anything can happen. Yeah. Somebody yeah. might jump up on stage, and uh, you know, just smack the guy giving the sermon. There might be a steel folding chair involved. Somebody, you know, the pastor might come out to pyro. Just just a heel turn by by Elder Jenkins. That's right. You know, this this sermon's going up there, and, and all of a sudden you just hear the glass break like Stone Cold's music, and somebody just comes just marching down the center aisle. And I, here's what I'm saying. You'd be interested. Yeah, you would. Matt, can I ask, how can I identify the heel at my church? Oh, that's a great uh. question. Well, typical uh, markers of a heel, which is the, the term for a bad guy in wrestling— and we'll just see if anything's applied to anybody at your church. You just let me know. <laughs> um, flaunts that they have money. Okay. <laughs> Dresses in a way to communicate, I'm a little better than you. 
the rabble (laughs) uses a vocabulary and diction that is meant to communicate that they are maybe more educated and a little uh, more on the inside than you, the, uh, the unwashed Mm. masses, uh, (laughs) Bobby Heenan, a famous, uh, wrestling, uh, manager announcer famously referred to the fans as humanoids. <laughs> so, you know, if your pastor gets up there and starts talking about how much his watch costs, for example, he would be, you know, doing an actual Ric Flair heel promo. Yeah. <laughs> but I can't think of anything that, uh, has that kind of thing. You know, one of the things Ric Flair is a famous wrestling heel. One of the things he would do is, is brag about how amazing his shoes were, his alligator shoes. Okay. Now, of course, that's a comedic example that no real member of the pastorate would do, wear flashy shoes, and then I'm point sorry. that out. I couldn't hear y'all over the sound of my $2,000 sneakers. What did I miss? <laughs> nothing. Nothing at all. Ah, well, Je- great. Look, Jed is famously in, incapable of keeping these alligators down. That's oh, exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. That's an actual quote. <laughs> And hard to hold these alligators down. My, this is going to be a detail for only like two people. Hi, Justin. My favorite thing. <laughs> you actually said hi. From an, an old Ric Flair from is he would do this. And again, he's talking about his gold watch and how smart he is and how well-traveled. And this could be a, a sermon for some megachurches. But he would always get, a, get to a point where he lost proportion because he's trying to <laughs> brag in a way that makes you know, the, the average person hate him. So he would, you know, look at someone in the crowd and be like, you know, my shoes cost more than your car, which eh, maybe you've got a really crappy sure. car and he's got a nice pair of shoes, a couple grand. And then he would take off his Rolex and tell someone, my watch costs more than your house. And it's one of those of like, I think you lost proportion yeah. in that. Yeah. Right? But yeah. again, you could imagine, you know, a Jesse Duplantis, a, uh, uh, uh seen this kind of guy getting really mad and just yelling at some parishioner my jet costs more than your house who are you to tell me how to interpret the scriptures yeah and then yell yeah. woo and run away well you bring a you bring up a good point with the interpretation of the scriptures because i like the idea of the week after easter um you know you're you're expecting a lower turnout or whatever but the social media of of certain people in the church start a little hubbub, a little back and forth and everything. And then on the Sunday morning in question, um, somebody literally gets up in the middle of the sermon, smacks the pastor, and then has like a theological qualm. And they have like a, like they just start debating theology right there on the stage in front of everybody. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Also it's, that is the thing that would get, you know, a lot of people up out of the seat is like the, I, the, the, you know, the, the, you said some, it was like not the, the, the feeding of the poor, not the, the caring for the, the widow or the orphan or the, the alien, but just like some obscure point of theology. And we would call it the reformed rumble. <laughs> <laughs> so many quaffed beards and so many singlets. Well, you know, as we're talking, here's the thing that's occurring to me that I can't believe hasn't happened to the best of my knowledge already, right? In the spirit of church of mania. So, you know, my, my appreciation of the wrestling arts goes back a ways, but I, I do have it. And I believe it was at WrestleMania three where the big moment was Hulk Hogan body slamming Andre the giant. Indeed. Um, a man who, depending on when you ask wow. Hulk Hogan, weighed somewhere between four and 9,000 pounds <laughs> as he's given interviews over the year that weighed. I think there's three promos in the night where uh, Andre gains 200 pounds between the beginning of the show and right before the match goes out. Here's that's a, I love that B here's my question is if you're a big church with a big budget, when it's time for youth Sunday and you want to talk about David and Goliath, how have you not done your own wow. version of getting some kid from the youth group that does MMA and this kind of stuff to go up and body slam your version of Andre the Giant. How have you not done this for Church of Mania? Amazing. Absolutely. Well, the other thing that I'm surprised some of our church friends haven't gone to, and famously the WWE, WWF at the time, does this and did it with WrestleMania 3, is just blatantly lying about your attendance numbers to try to (laughs) seem more successful. 
because the the quota number is something like ninety three thousand at WrestleMania, and like turns out it's pretty easy to like. There's like fire code and billing. Like you have to tell me tickets you sold. And it's like sixty five thousand or something. I think is the real number, which is great, but it's not you know ninety three. I just love the idea of Patrick getting up there, looking out over three hundred people and going. It is so amazing to have all two thousand of you here today, excited <laughs> for the Lord and ready to get into this word. That is so good. Makes me happy. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, well, and we, I think we can fit some things in here. Um, one of the things that uh, wrestling is famous for when it gets to a, a bit of a down place is going to uh, gimmicks. You know, ticket sales are down. We got to bust out the steel cage match. We got to bust out, you know, you know, some, some, some flaming tables. I'm saying right around Pentecost, you just let them know next Sunday, y'all, there's going to be fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tons of fire. There's going to be some pyro in this term. We're not going to tell you when none shall know the hour. There's going to be some flashbangs that go off in the middle of this sermon. I just want to, I want to hear pastor go for some of the, just some of the colorful poetry of some of those Rick fair, Rick flair, like character lines. I mean, some, some of these guys have some great walk on lines, you know, and I want to hear pastor go for that. Well, I, yeah, if you're telling me if your pastor said, I'm going to give a 25 minute sermon with Macho Man Randy Savage intensity and turns of phrase, including just running, spinning in circles, <laughs> pulling out props, oh, yeah. who knows where from, yeah, taking off <laughs> sunglasses for no reason indoors. Again, we're just trying to drum up some, we're just trying to drum up some, uh, some intensity and some engagement here. The uh, the idea of like uh, you, I feel like you could do a, a great illustration of like the the armor of God in Ephesians chapter six with some of those Ric Flair lines, like like instead of bragging about how much money you have, you just like do a whole bit about the shield of faith and the and oh, the yeah. sword of oh, yeah. of the word and all, all that stuff. I, I I'd like to see that with that with just some Ric Flair woos and stuff like that in there. I feel like that could really take off. That's very good. That's very good. Yeah, I also like that, again, a Creflo Dollar, a, uh, what's the crazy guy with the teeth in the plane? I don't remember. But, you know, all these guys could easily be described with the Ric Flair line of a Learjet flying, limousine riding, kiss stealing, wheeling dealing, son of a gun. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, like, so that's really too bad. <laughs> there's, think about how many megachurch Christian celebrities that applies to all parts of it. Maybe up to and too way too much, including the kiss stealing part. Yeah. Yes. Also, I'm just saying, pastors, p- people who preach, maybe you do the announcements at your church, maybe you do the youth thing. Um, maybe there comes a time where you just decide this sermon needs some blood. You just get out your razor blade and you just go dust your nose in that forehead, and people are going to be like, "Man, that that was intense." And I will leave that. We will leave this on a, on a semi thing, a thing that is not a good idea and would not really, you know, give the message you want, but I think it would help people get, uh, get excited. I've been to many, many wrestling shows. And, uh, even though I really do enjoy wrestling, uh, I'll tell you the best part is always the entrances. Cause you know, the song hits and the, the light show goes and everybody yells cause it's a surprise. I'm just saying pastor, if you think you're not getting the, uh, the, the bang you want, maybe lights go down. Boom, real American hits, lights come up, you come out in a colorful robe, just see if people aren't a little more engaged. I love it. Also, I think every liturgical drama would be uh, be better off with a steel chair shot in it somewhere. Yes, just, 100%. Just a, a version of 10,000 Reasons, but like with a trap beat <laughs> exactly and a lot right. of distortion. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think definitely, you know, a, a heel, yeah, heel turn by the, the worship team. <laughs> We're doing 10,000 reasons and all of a sudden the light, the lighting turns all blue and black and things just get really minor chord and yeah, smoke fills the room. <laughs> Incredible, man. I, and the, the problem is for the rest of this episode, and this is what some, some of you listeners have been listening long enough to know this, but for the rest of this episode and maybe for weeks, There'll be like 
some section of Matt's brain that will be thinking about further examples of ways the church can yeah that's right <laughs> can that's bring right. on some WrestleMania. Oh, Lee, there's always a section of my brain that's thinking about that. So in this case, we don't really have a thing there. The number of times I had to stop myself from telling people, younger folks, uh, people who uh, volunteer the bridge, who've asked, oh, I want to get better at doing stuff up front. And I think about, well, what works for me? And then I say, I can't tell you to go watch seven hours of Dusty Rhodes promos on YouTube. It would help. But I can't tell you to do that. Oh, gosh. Hard times. After Easter for the church, but that's when we all got to pull together and uh, gather at the Omni. Now we're doing references that literally only I get, and that's when it's time to move to declare emergency off. Well done, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if anyone but me and about uh, Rob and Justin and maybe three other people enjoyed that, but uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly, and sometimes this show's just for us. I'm sure we'll have uh, some... Some uh, music-related things coming up in future episodes so that uh, Jed and Lee can get their own back, and that's as it should be. But for now, we're going to move on to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end or scroll down to your episode description, there's some ways to get in touch with us there. Our first question this week comes in and says, How do I reflect on mistakes I've made in my past, which I need to do to learn from them, right, without getting stuck in guilt? And an excellent question. I, I really love the... Uh, kind of the premise you've laid out for us there. And Lee, where would we start off with this? Yeah, it is a great question. I think it's, it's a, it's a tough thing and it takes reps. Um, and, and I, this is, this is me saying this as an old guy. It, it also, I think takes some years. Um, this is something that I, I think, um, if people are willing to do the work, you get better at it as you get some years under your belt. But I think the number one thing that occurs to me on this is, there is a freedom in actual humility that allows you to do these things well. And so I, I want to talk for a second about what that word means, because um, some folks get, um, you know, can get kind of turned off when they hear the word humility in the first place. Humility, when I'll, I'll just say this, when I was growing up in church, um, humility was sold to me as, or or I heard it as, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus or whatever, but it was sold to me as a thing that basically meant you're humble when you admit that you're awful and that you're bad and you should feel bad. That's what humility means. Um, That's not what humility means. Humility means that you have a, a good, honest, true, objective understanding of who you are. You have some strengths and you have some weaknesses. You have some things about you that are amazing, and you have some things about you that are blindsides and that where you need to grow. Um, and there's a there's a thing about humility that when you when you're willing to accept that that there are some really really cool and awesome and amazing positive things about me, and there are some places that I need to grow. When you're willing to accept that, then you can you can hold with a loose hand the idea that. There are some places that, you know, I have some things in my past where I need to look at those things and grow from them. And I don't have to beat myself up about it because I, like, as far as my relationship with the Lord, um, He has accepted me, forgiven me. He's not holding anything over my head or beating me up or, or judging or shaming me about any of the things in my past. That doesn't mean that everything in my past was amazing. It means I'm completely accepted by him and I'm completely acceptable, but, um, I've got some things that he did have to forgive me for. And with humility, I can look at that and say, I need to grow from some things. Um, the opposite of that is the idea that I'm not acceptable the way that I am. And so every mistake I ever made, I need to continue to feel bad about those things. Oddly, humility allows us to move through that. Um, I can actually learn because, um, yeah, I've got, I got some things in the past that I need to deal with and need to look at, but that's okay. Everybody does. Um, humility gives us the, I guess the, the word I would use is it gives us the breathing room to say, it's okay. It's totally cool. I don't have to be perfect. And I am acceptable um, by the Lord right now. I'm acceptable by the people that love me. And that allows me to, to, to look at past mistakes and to not beat myself up, but to grow from them. I think it's a fantastic place to start that off. And humility is a great answer 
to kind of the conundrum I think our, our question asker finds themselves in. And Jed, one of the things I think, another thing I think that will help us here is to Lee's point about this is about more than just feeling awful about yourself, understanding what we would actually get out of going back over a mistake, because there is a utility there. But one yeah. of the things about that is once we've checked that box, we can move on. But first we have to understand what the checkbox is, right? No, that's absolutely right. And and I think, you know, that humility piece that Lee brought up is so key. I, I had a buddy a, a bunch of years ago who had, he worked in finance and he'd done very, very well and he'd retired early. And he was a shockingly humble person, um, which is very, very surprising on a lot of levels. And he, he said something to me one time that I've thought a lot about and I'm now passing on to you, which is most people make about the best decision they're capable of. That for most yeah. people, most of the time, the decision that they are making is about as good as they can come up with. Um, it It is either the best idea that they can come up with or they feel like it is a necessary idea given the situation that they are dealing with. That that's true for most people most of the time. And I've thought about that a lot. I think he's right. I think that most of the time, most people are making about the best decision that they're capable of. And that applies to you, even with your mistakes. And so the thing that I would want to encourage you to look at is, do you know why you made those mistakes? Do you know what was going on that either made the bad decisions, the the inadvisable decisions anyway, feel to you like a good idea in the moment or at the very least a necessary idea in the moment? And I think that's important on a couple levels. The first is I think if you can begin to suss that out, I think the amount of guilt and shame you experience is going to go way, way down. Um, because if you can look at something and understand what led to it, it's a heck of a lot larger, harder to feel a deep sense of shame. If you're like, no, this all tracks, this is all, you know, I, I wish it hadn't gone that way. And knowing what I know now, I wouldn't make that same decision. And I regret the harm that it caused other people, but it's not, shame's not quite what's called for here. That that's the first part, which is really valuable on its own. But the second is if we don't understand the dynamics that drive us to make decisions, there's a decent chance we're still dealing with those same dynamics, yeah. right? So, yeah. you know, uh, and an example, um, you know, that may, you know, an example that, that all of us have dealt with dealing with folks who are behind bars is um, that if someone insults you, you have to take vengeance on them. It is a requirement in order for you to to save face and to preserve your place and to, and to safeguard people around you. And if, for example, if, if that was where you were coming from, if you don't know that about yourself, that may continue to impact you in the future and continue to affect you in the future in a way that's going to cause a lot of negative consequences. We, we need to understand our own motivations. Give you another example. If at the end of the day, if you feel like what your dad says to you kind of carries some extra weight in your decision-making. Even if your dad doesn't really know anything about your life, your situation, or this particular topic, um, and that has driven you to make some inadvisable decisions in the past, if we don't know that, that factor may be um, controlling you in the future too. So this is one of those rare moments where we have a great one-two combo. One is we're definitely going to reduce the amount of shame, but two, we may have a lot of freedom to take a hold of. And, and all of that goes back to asking, why did we make those decisions? What was it that made them feel like a good idea or at the very least a necessary idea? We can start to answer that. We're going to have some great stuff going. Yeah. I had a, I had a thought about this, which was, you know, I was thinking about things where just as a, as a parent, um, you know, there's, there's things that you watch a child grow through where they make a lot of mistakes and then they get better at a thing. And there's no, there's actually no reason to go back and look at it. And then there are other things where they make mistakes and they grow through it. And you, and you actually do want to talk about the specifics of what those things were. Like for instance, you know, when your child is learning how to walk, you don't explain like physics and balance and gravity and all those kinds of things to a little child. You just kind of pick them up and let them try again and try again and try again until they get it. And then once they're walking, you don't have to go back and say, you know, let's, let's talk about those times that you took a stumble where you were learning how to walk a few years ago. I think we really need to watch the film and look at those things. You don't. They just, they made it through. It's totally fine. There are other issues where there are things exactly like Jed's talking about, where there, there may be a pattern yeah. um, 
where it's like, we actually need to look at this because otherwise we're going to repeat something. And so I want to take a minute to do that. You know, there may be wise people in your life that may be something that the Lord brings up with you. And all of these things lead to discernment. There are certain things that we need to look at and we need to be able to willing to ask the question, is this something that I've made it through and I've graduated? I've hit a checkpoint like in a video game and I'm done. I don't need to go back and and investigate or interrogate any of that. I just get to move past and, 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 and go on to the next thing or keep living my life. And then are there things where I made some mistakes and I really need to take the time and do the work, maybe not all right now, but I need to do the work of looking at that. I want to have a lot of grace on myself. I've grown past that. I'm out of that. I'm out of that funky situation, but I need to look at it. And so I bring all that up to say discernment is an important thing. There are some things that you do just seriously graduate from, and you don't have to, you don't have to go back and figure all of the, the mess out of it. There are certain things that you do need to learn from, and so we need to be willing to look at that, give ourselves a lot of grace, and be willing to look at, with some discernment, what do I need to figure out the patterns on? I mean, that's really good, and to, to connect on that and build on that, Here's something I think you can do that may be even less likely to be shame-focused, which is find people in your life that are succeeding at a thing that you would like to do better at. Maybe Mm. it's been an area of weakness for you. And start asking them questions about how they think about that area. Right? Mm. So, for example, maybe you've struggled with anger. Find people who just have, like, rock-solid self-control and get them to talk to you about what that's like for them, like how they make decisions, how they deal with things that piss them off. Like for what it's worth, I, I, this may sound slightly strange, but I, I do this with stuff all the time. Like I, you could call this informational interviewing. I actually hunt people down all the time who have a thing that they're, that they're really good at and, and ask, how do you approach this? Like, how do you think about it? How do you, how do you deal with this? How do you, and one of two things generally happens. Both are super useful. The first is there's like an insight that they have that I just did not know about at all. Like they say, well, I think of it like this, or I approach it this way, or I consider it from this point of view. And I'm like, that had not occurred to us, dude. No, Mr. <laughs> Lebowski, that had not occurred to us. In which case, great. I'm, I'm money ahead. I, I have this new insight. But the other thing is actually super useful too. And this may be even more common is they'll explain, you know, they'll kind of walk me through what they do. And I realize there's not a secret. You've just been doing this a long time. Mm. And what that means is there's no reason for me to be ashamed. Right. You're better than me at this, but you've also been doing it like 10 times longer than me. And ideally, when I've been doing it as long as you have now, I will hopefully be in the range of good that you are. But that that gets rid of that shame thing, too, because it means the path to excellence is not this one missing insight. It's reps. It's time. And that means I need to be kind and patient with myself. Yeah. That's a great point. I love what both these guys gave on that. One small thing I'd add on the end of this is another key point of discernment to me in these things that separates, you know, the wallowing, the beating up on yourself from when it is, as Lee's pointing out, you know, in situations where we need to go roll the tape, learn a lesson, as opposed to just something we got through is what's the end point? What's, what's the, yeah. what's the lesson? And once we've learned it, how are we going to move on? And that's a great thing that, you know, a pastor, a therapist, trusted friend, somebody who just that outside perspective can help you with. Sometimes you will arrive at an, at the functional answer, but your emotions won't be done with anger, guilt, sadness, whatever it is. And that can trick you into thinking, well, I don't have the answer yet. And then getting the answer and processing the feelings are separate processes. And uh, there's, if there's an answer to be arrived at, arrive at it. And then we can, if there's still emotional processing to do, that's great. But, um, it really helps to be able to move on when you've hit the point of whether that's, why did I do that? Or what, what was the, the hitch in my thinking as these guys are talking about, or what was the lesson I needed to learn from that? It's great to, if it's someone you can talk about that, if that's a journaling thing, like to have a place where you can put, this was problem, this was solution, turning the page on that. That's, Super duper helpful. And even if you can't do it as clean as that, well, I think that's a thought process that will help you not get caught in that just going back to it, picking at that wound kind of loop that we all get caught in from time to time. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, how do I know when God is telling me to be patient versus times when I'm just scared to take a next step? And another excellent question. And Jed, where do we kick off here? 
Well, it's a great question. And where I'd encourage you to start is I think there's all kinds of questions about the spiritual life where a great place to begin is to ask, what is the best human wisdom about this topic? Do you know how to live that out? Because Mm. oftentimes the best way to apply godly wisdom is to begin with the best practices of humanity and then go from there. Ask God to, to give you wisdom that transcends human wisdom. So I think my question back to you is, leaving God aside, do you know how to be patient versus how to know when to press forward just as a human being? Do you know how mm-hmm. to do that? Because that's a, actually an important skill, and it's an important skill of discernment that not a ton of people have. And so the good news is it is a skill. You can learn it. You can, you can get better at it. So I think it's going to boil down in a way to a sequence of questions. And here's the first question. Is this goal important? Whatever this thing is, it, it could be in your relational life, your professional life, your, your hobbies, whatever. Is this goal important? Are we underselling the importance? Are we overselling the importance? But do we actually need to be putting thought and resources and time and consideration into this at all? Because, of course, it's worth noting we live in a culture that is built on advertising, and the whole of advertising is to convince you to care about things you otherwise wouldn't care about. <laughs> so. Does this matter? Is this this area of life, this this kind of sub ecosystem you're considering, does it matter? Is this goal important? Here's the next thing. In that arena of your life, what you're currently doing, is it working? The approach that you're currently taking, is it getting you closer to the goal that you have, the betterment that you have in mind? Here's the next question. Will it continue to work? It's working right now, maybe. Will it continue to work, the, the current approach that you're taking? And then here's the last one. Is there actually a faster and better approach that is reliable and legal and ethical and sustainable? Is there a way to get to your goal faster and better that's also legal and ethical and sustainable and reliable? Here's why these questions matter. The first is it's super easy because, again, we live in a marketing culture. You get talked into pursuing something that's it just doesn't matter. Spend a lot of time and resources on something that just doesn't make any difference at all. It's not for you. The second is if what you're doing is working and it's likely to continue working, I would be very cautious about changing that. Um, If you if you have a goal that matters and you're moving towards it and you're moving towards it in a sustainable way, you are doing so good. Yeah. Like you should pause and celebrate that. I mean, one of the things, and again, this is marketing generally, but it's super internet culture is like this obsession with getting not just amazing results, but amazing results fast, dude, that doesn't exist. There's no such thing as like a really crazy good outcome and quick, you know, this is an old, you know, cliche, but it's true for a reason. Good, fast and cheap pick two. you know, in life, in most situations, um, if you want it to be good and you know, you, you don't have a million dollars to spend on it. It's not going to go there fast, man. If what you're doing isn't working, then yes, it may be time to reconsider and look at other options. And yeah, once in a blue moon, maybe what you're doing is working, but there really is a better way to go about it. You know, you're, you're walking to the Kmart, but your friend is willing to give you a ride. Okay, cool. That's, you know, that's fine. But a lot of the time, if what you're doing, if the goal matters and what you're doing is working and will work sustainably, maybe patience is really, really called for. I say all that to say that if you can map out with those kind of diagnostic questions, a human perspective on whether patience is called for or courage is called for, mm. it's a lot easier to start asking the Lord to give you extra patience, to give you extra courage, to give you more of what is needed to provide a supernatural view for this journey and wisdom. Of what am I not seeing about this? You know, I, I think it's about courage, but maybe it's not. And Lord, what do you have to say about that? But the more that you can cover that human side, I think the the better, more beneficial the spiritual side is going to be. I think it's a fantastic place to start off. And Leo, let me get you to pick us up right there, because I think yeah. what Jed is saying about uh, courage and patience is critical to this. And as he's pointing out, everything in life is going to take uh, both of those in some mix. But also different yeah. versions of that. Like, I think sometimes we think of it takes courage to do something, but sometimes it takes courage not to do something. It takes patience to wait on something. Sometimes it takes patience to start a long process. So how do we how do we develop those ideas of courage and patience in the context of whether we whether waiting is just shuffling off what God wants to tell us to do or if it's actually the right thing? 
Yeah, this is such a. I mean, I, I loved everything that that Joe was saying there, and and I completely agree with all of that. And it, and it's such a great place to to end that and to pick up here because there are different versions of courage, and there are different versions of patience. And and I think that a lot of times we do fall into this weird um, mode of thinking where they are mutually exclusive things. Like either I'm going to wait, or I'm going to be bold. Um, there's a lot of courage in waiting, um, that, and there's, and like Matt said, I like the way you said this, Matt, there are, there can be a lot of patience in starting something that's going to take a lot of time and, and effort and, 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 and all that stuff. And th- the interesting thing I, I think is, I think in the, in your last response, Matt, you used the phrase information gathering. And I think there's a really cool process that happens when, especially once we've done what Jed's talked about, which is where we've looked at kind of the practical application and what is the human wisdom and have we made sure that we're doing, just answering the right questions, asking the right questions, doing what we already know would work and would be important, all that stuff. And we seek wisdom from the Lord. Um, to do an, another kind of information gathering, which is a really, really important question. And I want to stress the um, the importance as you start to do this information gathering of not judging the answer, okay? the And the question is, what am I afraid of? And if you can ask that, and this is super critical, if you can ask that question and you are determined not to judge the answer, then we can learn a lot of really cool stuff. That's that's a it's just such a key thing. If I can if I can be willing to say and this comes down to things as simple as like okay, um my personal budget isn't working out. Um I I need to look at that, but I'm afraid to look at it. And I'm afraid to look at it because I'm afraid to find out that something that I really care about doing, I'm not going to be able to do anymore. Or I'm afraid to look at it because I feel like I'm going to feel bad at my, about myself if I look at it. And if you can decide, all I'm doing right now is information gathering. And then you go back and you look at the, you, you look at the bank receipts and you look at the credit card receipts and, you, and you're just doing some information gathering. If we can do information gathering and ask the question, what am I afraid of, without any judgment, then we're going to learn a lot of stuff that we can figure out about um, what, what it is that we need to maybe wait on and what it is that we need to take a step on. Here's the really interesting thing, and Matt's already said it, and, and I've already said it. Both of these options require courage and, are, and in some way are going to require patience. You're actually going to have to have patience and courage in both things. And, and Jed said this as well. You can just ask for the Lord to provide those things. Yep. But we, I, my, my very strong personal conviction and from my own personal experience is that it's going to be a whole lot easier to hear from the Lord in prayer if I've done the work beforehand of actually finding out what I'm afraid of. If you can find out and and just clearly state to the Lord, and and I think I think we I think this is another skill that we can actually get really good at, of getting to a place of I'm not going to judge myself about what I'm afraid of, but I'm going to clearly identify it. When you can clearly, in a non-judgment, self-judgmental way, declare what you're afraid of, then I think you're going to he- be able to hear from the Lord a whole lot better. At all times, He is calling us. Um, don't be terrified. I, I want you to be strong and courageous. But before we can actually access any of that, he is perfectly okay with you telling him exactly what you are afraid of. And if I'm comfy with that, I think I'm going to hear from him a lot more clearly. Yeah, that's a great point and great stuff from both of these guys. The The other thing I would point out on this is, we've talked about this on the show before, there are very few, if any, things in life where you only get one shot at it. Mm. Uh, the idea that um, you know God is, is is pointing you in a direction and you you either miss that signal or you just don't uh, drum up the courage in yourself to to take that shot. Um, that certainly happens in life. It's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to, to everyone on the show. Um, what I've never really heard of happening to anyone is that being their only shot at whatever that thing was. Maybe that was your your only shot at 
that job. It's no, not your only shot at a good job. It was, maybe it was your only shot at a successful relationship with that person. It's not your only shot at a successful relationship. There are kind of vanishingly few things in the world where you get one shot on one day and the timing has to be perfect. Otherwise, the train leaves the station forever. And as you're you're learning to to deal with these things, to 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 do the listening, to do the discernment, to do that those courage and patience pieces, it is going to feel um like there's a lot of pressure on you to not only to do everything right, which is enough pressure that we shouldn't be putting ourselves, but to time everything perfectly, which yeah. is way <laughs> too much pressure to put on yourself because uh, God should be in charge of the doing. We have a role in the doing. And God is going to be in charge of the timing because that's just the way timing works. Um, for almost everything, timing is going to have a lot of factors that are beyond our control. And it is best to focus on the role that we ha- can play in those things and not to put too much pressure on any single instance, which is very easy to do uh, when you're younger, when you've only had a limited number of uh, experiences with something. You can feel like you have to get everyone perfect. And that's just rarely the case with anything uh, if God wants a good thing to happen in your life, which he does in a lot of arenas, um, that's going to have avenues to happen uh, over and over again. And r- rare is the is the time where that door just slams shut all at once. Move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about how even though he is free, he has made himself the servant of everyone to win as many people as possible. I am a recovering people pleaser, and that has caused a lot of problems in my life. How do I be a servant without giving in to being a people pleaser? And an excellent question, and not one I've actually heard a take on this verse before. So I think it's really, really interesting one. And Lee, where do we kick off here? Yeah, I love, I love when somebody can give you a perspective on a verse that you might not have thought of because you're just a little different than them. And that's a, you know, it's just, it hits me in a certain way because of my personality. And that's, that's a, this is a really, really cool take. And, and we certainly love the, uh, this question specificity of it. This is one of those places that I think that, um, that context matters a lot. Um, it's, it's interesting because if and and when I say context, I don't even just mean all of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and I don't even just mean all of 1 Corinthians. I mean like the body of the work of the apostle Paul. Because if you were to take in just the body of the work of the apostle Paul, what you would find is like this dude is not a people pleaser like in any way. <laughs> he will jump in a dude's face. And specifically gives, um, uh, you know, there are specific places where he does that and where he talks about how right he was to do it. And um, I I tell you all that to say that the the issue, um, as I see it, about people-pleasing is that people-pleasing behavior, um, one big problem with it is just a lack of self-advocacy. So if I am a people-pleaser... I am basically in a behavior or in my words or in a lack of action, I am internally making a compromise because I either want to gain your approval or I want to avoid conflict with you. That's what's happening in people-pleasing behavior is I've made a shift internally. I've decided to do something or to not do something, to say something or to not say something that I otherwise would that I otherwise would behave differently, uh, you know, or speak differently because I want to avoid conflict with you or I want to gain your approval. When you look at what Paul's talking about in First Corinthians chapter nine, we actually have a different situation. What he's talking about is he's saying, I've made peace with certain choices so that I can experience them or not. Um, they're they're not game changers for me. They're not um this is this is not a deal breaker. I'm not actually making any compromise and whether or not I do this activity, whether I do this activity or whether I don't do it, my company, the company I'm with will change the way I behave. That's not actually me making a compromise to, to like, to gain their approval. This is me being a servant to them. There's a subtle difference there. Um, There are other things that, that Paul (laughs) will absolutely not compromise on. And if somebody wants him to compromise, he will jump all the way into their face. And so there is, therein lies a difference. And the way I want to illustrate it for you is I want to, I want you to look at this 
question, which is when you have certain people that you want their approval or you want to avoid conflict with them, where is a place that you are making an internal compromise and you're not standing up for something that you otherwise would in your own self, something that you're convicted about, something that matters to you? My thing is, I think you should stand up for that, for yourself in that. I think you should advocate for yourself there. And then the other side of the coin is, um, where are places where my behavior, I can alter the way that I talk or the way that I handle myself in order to move towards someone in a thing that's not a deal breaker for me, a thing that's not a game changer. Um, it's, it doesn't matter to me, but it apparently matters to you. And I, and I care about you. So I will move toward you in this thing. I'm actually not making a compromise in myself because I, I could do this thing or not do it. I could take it or leave it, but it does matter to you. And I do care about you. So I'm going to move towards you in this moment, not because I'm just seeking to please you or gain your approval, but because I care about you. And I think there is, there is a piece of the heartbeat of this question. I think that's an excellent point and a wonderful place to start that off. And Jed, I'd love to get you to to come in here with us because I think Lee did an amazing job nailing down uh, this dynamic from the point of the person doing uh, the serving or the people pleasing. Yeah. And I'd love for us to take a look at it from the other side because uh, as three guys who've had a, a long uh, time of either vocationally or volunteers or just in our lives serving people, I think we can all... Uh, credibly say that sometimes people who are well-served are not well-pleased. Oh, dude. <laughs> Those are <laughs> not exactly the same thing, but from the concept of people-pleaser, we can certainly see how they are. But look, let's take a look at the per- from the person getting the, the uh, servanthood here and what that might tell us about some differences and some overlap. Well said, no doubt about it. Serving people and pleasing people are not the same thing. Mm. Um, and we, we want to be crystal clear about that. I mean, we, we can give a bunch of examples that, that make that difference plain, but so for example, uh, healthcare providers, whether it's a, a physician or a physician's assistant or a nurse or, or whoever else, they're there to serve you. They're there for your benefit. And that's what a servant does. A servant does what is beneficial for another. A people pleaser does what others want. Um, and if you work in any kind of frontline medical work, you're aware you're benefiting people, even as they hate you all the time. <laughs> I mean, all the time. Uh, it, another example of that anyone who has ever been around any form of addiction recovery, um, you are serving people and they are not happy about it. Um, another example is anyone who has cared for children ever. To be yep. any form of caregiver to children is to serve a child, to be there for their betterment, and have them openly resent the process. They so, just want Lucky Charms, Jed. They just want Lucky Charms. 24 hours a day, that's the only thing. You know, Lee, I'm glad we've had this discussion. I used to think that you love me, but now I understand that you hate me and despise me due to your inability and unwillingness to furnish me with Lucky Charms. <laughs> you have them, sir. You have the Lucky Charms, and you refuse to apportion them to my liking. <laughs> Every time we sit down to record, they have this fight. Most of the time it's before, but now it's during the episode, and for that, I apologize. Eat a carrot, Jed. Eat a carrot. You forget yourself, sir. <laughs> so, <laughs> I really like ang- angry English aristocrat, but he's angry about the lack of lucky charms in this gentleman's club. Okay, so you see the point, I hope, that serving people, e.g. doing what is beneficial for them and pleasing them, that is doing what they want, are not the same thing. Last example, the guy's getting cut off at the bar. Dude, and I've seen this happen a few times in my life, if if you've gotten to a point where the, the white staff is openly cutting you off, trust me, bro, this is for your benefit, baby. This yeah. is This is good for you. I've never seen anyone be happy about it. So, <laughs> so what do we do? I think what we recognize, right, if, if, if we want to love people is that I am here to serve you. Um, to, to be a Christian is to be a servant to other people, but that's about your betterment. I hope you like it. I hope that you receive it with a smile on your face and a song in your heart. And I understand that may not always be the case, and I understand that you may be so displeased about the service that I'm offering that you have no interest in receiving that service and are going to are gonna walk away. 
But if I'm forced to choose between a good for you that you don't much care for, that being the thing that I offer, versus a pleasing of you that would ultimately lead to your harm, I'm going to do the former and I refuse to do the latter. Um, you know, that's really what it boils down to. I, I, I think that as serving others is a skill, and like any skill, it's one that you can get better at. You can you can learn new layers to and new new subtlety and nuance. And I think that you can get better at, I know I certainly have, helping people to receive service that they otherwise would not because you just help them to get to a place where they're, they're willing to receive and even though it's not really, you know, what they want. So it, it, it is a journey. We can get better at it, but I think that in many ways it does start with kind of a, a fundamental decision of, am I here to please you or am I here to serve you? And uh, I agree hundred percent with everything that Lee said, Paul was talking about serving people and Jesus was talking about serving people. Um, you know, hopefully time and again, they like it. And when those two things coincide, man, it's great. We, we, we can all be happy, but, um, you know, it's midnight. You need to be in bed. I'm not giving you a fourth bowl of lucky charms. No matter how much you ask, we've had this conversation and sir, the answer is, and must be no. A peek into Jed's internal monologue every night before going to bed right there, (laughs) looking into the mirror. No other Jed. Three bowls of Lucky Charms is enough. We've had this conversation. Sir, I'd be happy to have the manager come and speak with you if that would be useful at this point. <laughs> yes. I really like this version of Fight Club we're pitching where Jed splits personalities, but instead of whatever weird thing happened in Fight Club, it's just trying to con- the uh, it's just Brad Pitt trying to convince him to eat five bowls of Lucky Charms a day. <laughs> I, see, I thought we were going back to Dusty Roads at this point. And that, you know, Macho Man cutting Jed off from the, f- like, oh, no, no more <laughs> Lucky Charms for Jed. I shudder to think of a WWE produced Lucky Charms ad, because that would be just one of the most racially insensitive things <laughs> I can possibly imagine. And it is a delight, though. Uh, yeah, they were... Uh, I don't I I do think the the wrestlers in the 80s got their energy from an outside source but I'm not sure it was marshmallows <laughs> possibly but a lot of great great stuff from these guys on that and one, one thing I'll add on here um to again a difference because what I think one of the things that's going to be tricky navigating this thing as these guys have laid out is the function of doing a people pleasing and serving someone who needs help or disturbing someone who, who you can serve sometimes may look the same. They will be happy about that. Hopefully again, not always, uh, particularly if you're dealing with people in addiction recovery, one of the uh, delights about that is oftentimes they will acknowledge that they should be happy about it and are thankful, but are clearly want to be, make sure that, you know, they're not actually happy about it though. It's a very interesting (laughs) line to walk. Um, But hopefully in less extreme circumstances, there's a very clear, if you did a nice thing, I am, I am grateful for that. I am pleased with this. So the the function of those things may be pretty similar. So we do need to look out for those uh, disparity points so that we can kind of tell one from the other. And one of the things, at least in my uh, admittedly limited experience with people pleasing, I normally go uh, the other way, which is not uh, inherently healthier, but it's just a different tack, um, <laughs> is if you are stuck on people pleasing, what, here's what's not going to work is oh, well, if you're going to be unhappy with it, I'll go do something nice for someone else. That is not going to scratch the people-pleasing itch, but that's kind of good servanthood 101. We we do not serve people against their will, and if people are putting up obstacles to us serving them, turns out there's lots of people who would like help or would like yep. someone to be nice to them or would like an encouraging word. And the thing about the servanthood thing is whether it's person a or person B doesn't matter. Um, not you will, if you do something like volunteering or ministry vocationally, you, one of the things you learn very, very early on is you cannot get target lock. That will not work. That will not help you. That will not help the person. This is kind of a thing that's between you and God. And these other people are the recipient, uh, the, the kind of the beneficiary of the overflowing of that, but it's in a weird way, not really, really about them. Uh, we hope it benefits them. We want to do the nice thing for them. They're the subject of it. But if they don't want it, it's not only about them. We'll go find 
someone else to do that with, and it'll be the same the same uh, thing. If it only is going to scratch the itch, make you happy, let you check it off the list, whatever. If this one person is pleased with something you're doing, therein we definitely will have a problem. Um, that problem is it could be uh, in good faith that there's that's just not a healthy way to to live your emotional life. And the much more common thing is that you are eventually, hopefully uh, not, but eventually going to run into someone who can read that on you, and they will make it their business to not be pleased with anything you do. Yep. And unfortunately, we, we just cannot count on the, the gentleness and goodness of other people to stop that from happening. So we do need to, to forge that in ourselves a little bit. But you can do that. You can keep an eye out for, for some of these red flags, as these guys are pointing out, and uh, really get the, reward, the rewards and the positivity of being servant-hearted, of serving other people, of living that life that's based on helping other people without getting the, those downfalls of the people-pleasing thing which has caused you some problems before and causes problems for everyone at some point here or there. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, we're going to take out the song this week by my calculations. This is our last show going up before Easter. So we will take you out with our traditional Easter track. This is by Lee. It's called break of day. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it.